We're in Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. We're on our journey. Yes, if you would stand for reading of the Word of God, the blessing of studying Revelation. Now, I want you to understand the title of the book is Revelation, not Revelations. Just so you know. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Now, the theme of Revelation for the next who knows how long, you know I'll be introducing this, is behold, he is coming. It is found in chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming. The king is coming. Now, in our introduction last week to this book, we mentioned that the Bible is the foundation for our study. Everything is built upon the Word of God. And your job as students is to be a Berean to make sure what I'm saying is true. So they search the scriptures to make sure what Paul was saying is true. So you make sure you search the scriptures that what I'm saying is true. So the Bible is our foundation. My job is to be the teacher who rightly divides the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. That's my job. Now, we are doing a study in what we call eschatology. Remember, eschatology. Ology is the study of eschat was last things, end times. So that word just means end time study, study of end time things. And I said last week, there's a big controversy on the book of Revelation. There's, there's four different views, and we take the futurist view, we take a literal view of this. But I, I, I emphasize that no one really knows exactly how this thing is going to play out. We can have a very good idea, but anybody that says that they have this just nailed down perfect, I don't think that's, that's quite accurate. So we're doing the best we can to rightly divide this word, but we know that God expects us to have a clue what's coming in the future so that we're not taken off guard, that sort of thing. He's given us something called progressive illumination, and we're in our book of Daniel, we had a picture of Daniel, and he's looking over these mountaintops, and he's projecting into the future. He could only see very closely. But we now are at the end are able to see more of the prophetic panorama because more things have come to fruition during our lifetimes. So the closer we get to the end, the clearer the prophetic picture will be. And we also learned that the Bible is our foundation, that we can trust that the Bible is true. And we talked about the manuscript evidence. In the original, the Bible is exact and perfect. In the transmission from the original to what we have today, that has been impugned over the ages and said, how can anybody get information transmitted that is accurate? And in textual criticism, we know that we have in our hands something that is 98.5 to 99% textually pure. And I had a thing on the board last week that talked about the ancient literatures of Plato and Socrates and etc., Tacitus, and how these things were copied, and their transmission was not nearly as accurate as the Bible, but people don't question that, but they question the Bible as being full of errors, and that is not true. The challenge to the Scripture started right off the bat, didn't it, in the Garden of Eden, when Satan said to Eve, has God thus said? Did God really say this? And that's been the challenge all through the epochs of time. And we believe that God has said. He's given us a reliable word that we can trust today. Now, why can you trust your Bible? Well, we went through this last week. Fulfilled prophecy. Fulfilled prophecies bears witness to the validity of the Scriptures. No other work, no other religion has any fulfilled prophecy. There's literally hundreds into the thousands of fulfilled prophecies in your Bible that have occurred and will occur as time unravels to the end. Then we have archaeological discoveries that bear witness to the trustworthiness of the Bible that just prove the validity of what we have in our hands is true. And then we have history, that there actually was 
historians, again like Tacitus and that sort of thing, who were not Christians, who validated that Jesus Christ really existed. That this person called Jesus died on a cross, he was buried in a rich man's tomb. By the way, that's fulfilled prophecy, Joseph of Arimathea. It wasn't just by coincidence. They could have taken Jesus down with the other two guys hanging with him, thrown him into a common grave, but they didn't because prophecy had to be fulfilled. It gives credence that this is true. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. He rose from the dead. By the way, it was prophesied. The tomb was empty, and there is eyewitness testimony to this. Over 500, it says, at one time saw the resurrected Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15. Also, Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. James saw the resurrected Jesus. Peter and the apostles saw the resurrected Jesus. There was Mary of Magdalene saw the resurrected Jesus. So the eyewitness testimony is undisputable. They saw him, and guess what? Their lives were changed. Paul, a killer of Christians, went to a Christian himself and himself died for the faith. James, the half-brother of Jesus, who denied that his brother was the Messiah until the resurrection, and then James became a believer. Jude became a believer. Eyewitness testimony, the changed lives, and then we have the change that Christianity has brought to culture. There's no other world religion that has done what Christianity has done as far as charity, hospitals, helping the poor, helping the sick, helping the hungry, and by the way, elevating the status of women. You go throughout the world into Islam, into Hinduism, and different types of world religions, and women are oppressed. Jesus raised and elevated the the status of women in the culture. We believe in a literal, futuristic view of the book of Revelation, that Jesus will come Pre, the premillennial return of Jesus Christ. And then we finally learned last week that we are here for a reason. There's a purpose that we were born. There's a, there's a mission that we have while we're here. And it's not to get as much money as you can have or have as much fun as you can possibly have here or be as cool as you can possibly be or have everyone like you and that sort of thing. Those, those are all sidelights. We're here to be active participants in his plan for the world. That's why we're here to join him where he is working. That is our purpose. Now, this week, we're going to be studying the blessing of studying Revelation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time, again, that you've given us to study the true, inerrant Word of God. We thank you that we have your Spirit to guide us. We have your Word to guide us. We have this time with you, teachers, students, that you guide us in truth. Holy Spirit, you be our teacher today. Holy Spirit, illuminate your word to our beings. Open our hearts. Keep our minds clear. Take the veil off. Help us to hear from you today truths that you want us to hear and to apply. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as usual, we do an introduction, and I want to ask you a question. In the 70s and the 80s, The book of Revelation and prophecy was extremely popular. You had Hal Lindsey's late great planet Earth. You had Tim LaHaye and his stuff. And people were flocking to prophecy conferences. Couldn't wait to study the book of Revelation. That's not true today. That's not true today. Something has happened. Something has happened. Why do people today ignore the book of Revelation? Most churches you go to will not teach this. There's several reasons that I think for that. First of all, I think it's the cultural desensitization to the phenomenal. We have all kinds of loud voices telling us today about all kinds of strange and weird stuff. We have loud voices proclaiming, where is the proof of his coming? Where is, where is this Jesus going to come? You guys have been saying this for hundreds and thousands of years. Where is the proof of this coming? Well, Peter had to deal with that in his time. And In Peter, he says this, scoffers will come in the last days saying, where is the promise of his coming? Folks, our culture is overwhelmed and desensitized by the phenomenal, by the phenomenal. Look, we have sensational movies, magazine articles. The internet is filled with strange phenomenon, extraterrestrials, the occult, vampires. Strangeness is off the charts today, and it overwhelms the mind, the paranormal, the weird, the strange 
It is in our face constantly. It's an all-out assault on our mind. It's an information overload. And people look at Revelation as just another strange, weird thing that could be true. That couldn't be farther from the truth. It is not strange and weird, and it is true. So I think it's the strangeness of it. But secondly, that's the symbolism. How in the world can we understand the symbolism in the book of Revelation? Now look at the symbols that we see in Scripture usually can be found in the same book that you're studying or in other books. The symbols can be explained if you do the search, if you do the study. The Bible will interpret itself. Allow the Bible to interpret itself. The symbolism of Revelation, I believe, can be understood. Thirdly, I think a lot of people don't want to teach it because it's too scary and too controversial. I don't want to hear about all those awful things. If I teach that stuff, these people are just going to run from here because they want to feel good when they get out. They don't want to be challenged with what might be coming in the future. That's what's happening in the church today. Feel good. Make me feel good. Make me feel pumped up. I want to feel like I went to a rock concert when I get out of here. I want to be entertained. I don't want to hear anything about an antichrist, demon, Satan, judgment, the lake of fires. I don't want to do that. And you know what people do? People do this. I have a picture of an ostrich here. Everything is just fine. Don't bother me as we bury our head in the sand. Isn't this the state of humanity today? And it includes the majority of the church today. Bury your head in the sand. I'm not here. This isn't happening. Now, why do we study prophecy? We study it because God expects us to know what is coming. Pretending it's not going to happen, covering our eyes and acting like it's not going to happen, ignoring these things, it's not going to, it's not going to work. It will not change the facts. Remember, Jesus said in Luke 19, when he came in, into Jerusalem to accept his kingship on Palm Sunday, and they rejected him, and they rejected him, and he lamented over the city, and he knew the city was going to be destroyed. He says, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side, level you and your children to the ground, and they will not leave on you one stone upon another. Talking about the temple. The temple, not one stone upon another. Because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know that I was the Messiah and the Old Testament prophets told you exactly what you should be looking for. And you didn't pick up on that. You didn't pick up on it. He held them responsible. Titus in 70 AD came in and destroyed Rome, and over a one million men, women, and children were killed, and not one stone was left upon another. It happened. Look, we have to remember that Jesus expects us to know, to watch, to be ready, to not fall for the world's deceptions, and especially when the Antichrist I believe that we should be able to identify this guy before he comes on the scene. Remember, he's going to rise slowly. He's just not going to pop up like Superman. He's going to rise slowly, and we should have enough biblical acumen to identify him if we are still here. Remember, he's not going to come to power until the midpoint of the tribulation. So we should be able to identify him as he's ascending to power. Don't be deceived by the world. Those who study the book of of Revelation are given a promise. Each one of you that hangs in here are given a promise, and that is a blessing, a blessing. Now, Zadiades in his word study says this. That word blessing is the Greek word markarios, and it means to be fully satisfied, not because of favorable circumstances, but that the believer is indwelt by Christ. And if we are indwelt by Christ, then we have a blessing beyond measure because he allows us to persevere no matter what. His presence will allow us to have joy in spite of the circumstances that we're living in. That's what he's promised us. So you have situations in your life where you might have physical problems. You might have financial problems. Look at relational problems, work problems, kid problems, parent problems, every kind of problems. We can have joy in spite of these things because we have a Savior that has promised us his presence. We just have to tap into that. We just have to tap into that. So 
There's also, you want to know this, the book of Revelation has its own outline. And that is found in verse 19. Write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things that will take place after this. So the things which you have seen. Now John is going to write down things that he knows that has happened in his life with the Lord Jesus. He walked this, he was in the inner circle. Peter, James, and John were in the inner circle. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was at Gethsemane. He had seen a lot of things. But you know what else he also saw in chapter 1, verse 12? He saw the glorified Jesus, the one that looked like God incarnate. He had hair like wool, as white as snow, his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass, his voice like the sound of many waters. His countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when John saw his friend Jesus, he fell at his feet as though he were dead. And Jesus touched him, said, it is I, John. What a warmth. The reason that this is significant is that John is going to see some incredible things with an Antichrist as we go through this book. And he needs to know that this Jesus, this glorified Jesus, this all-powerful, omnipotent Jesus, he is going to make this stuff happen, just like he said, because he is all-powerful God. And then he says the things which are, and he's going to give this message of the churches to the seven churches. These seven churches, there were more than seven churches at that time, but these represent the seven churches through the ages, from the time of John to us today. Regards the church. And then the things that will take place, that's chapters 4 through 22. What are we to expect as God unfolds his prophetic plan for planet Earth, culminating in the second coming of Jesus and his real millennial reign on Earth? There's actually going to be a Jesus when he comes back, set up his, his kingdom. There will be a temple rebuilt in Jerusalem. He will reign from there, and we will co-reign with him at least someplace on this planet. Okay? That is what the promise is. So the message of the book of Revelation is this. The king is coming. Don't ever forget. The king is coming. I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what the direction of this world is going. The king is coming. The king is in control. The line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. Folks, Jesus is on his way. Jesus is on his way. And this is a blessing to know this. Now, he's given us a, a method of communication. In verse 1, we see this, the method of communication. The re revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. So God the Father gave it to Jesus the Son to show his servants, that would be us, things which must shortly take place or quickly take place or swiftly take place. And he sent them and signify it by his angel to his servant John. So, Note this, again, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of John. This is of Jesus Christ. He's the revelator. And revelation means apocalypsis, the apocalypse, the apocalypsis. This means to uncover, to unveil, God, unveil. God wants his people to know what is coming. He wants us to know what is coming. He's giving us a heads up on the future. We are to study and to know what is coming. This is the uncovering of Jesus Christ as the future unfolds. Now, the communication, remember, God is very structured. Look at the creation. I mean, everything is structured and ordered. The communication goes from the Father to the Son to an angel to John to a book, and then it goes to you, his servants. God is a God of order. I want you to think about something. Satan despises this order. He used people. He used Domitian, a Caesar, a Roman Caesar, to try to stop John's witness to the world. He tried to silence John, exiled him to the island of Patmos. He thought he was going to silence John, but he couldn't have been more mistaken because it was there that God, that Jesus Christ, gave the revelation to John on the Isle of Patmos. Domitian was was simply a tool to accomplish what God wanted to accomplish. Nothing, nothing, nothing can thwart God's plan. Nothing. What man meant for evil, Domitian meant for evil for, for, for him to be on Patmos. 
Domitian meant that for evil, but God meant it for good. Romans 8.28 is true. All things do work for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. And notice that it doesn't say it's good because everything isn't good, but God will work things for good. He will work things for good. And that's good to know when you don't understand what in the world is going on with your life. When you are in a don't understand phase, and by the way, we're kind of in that kind of all the time, what is this all about? This didn't happen before. Examples of trusting God is this in Scripture. Trust him in the I don't know whys of life. You know, Joseph, the Old Testament Joseph, was thrown into a pit by his brothers. Now, I'm sure that Joseph is going through, I don't know why this is happening. And he's taken off to Egypt, and he ends up in Potiphar's house, and he ends up reigning a second in charge, second only to Pharaoh. He trusted God. No, even in the I don't knows. Daniel trusted when he was taken into captivity at age 15. Remember, we just finished this study. Lost his family, lost his friends, lost everything, lost his culture, his name, his identity. He, everything was changed for Daniel, but he trusted God and he, was, he prospered in two empires, Babylon and Persia. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusted when they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Daniel trusted God when he was thrown into the lion's den. And how about this one? Noah trusted God when he said there's going to be a flood on the earth and the whole earth is going, what's a flood? Nobody ever heard of a flood. Nobody ever heard of rain. And Abraham trusted God when he was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He was a pagan moon god worshiper and God called him out. He trusted God and he became a desert dweller. For the rest of his life, he dwelt in tents. Trust him when you don't understand what in the world is going on. And, I, and, and Please, notice who the book is directed to. It goes through all of those steps, God to Jesus, to John, the angel to John to the book. Then it comes to you, his servants. He wants you to know, his servants to trust him to know. And remember, a servant is a doulos. That's the Greek word. The Greek word is doulos. It is a bondservant, and that means this. Now, this is not popular to be a slave today. It is not, it's never been popular to be a slave, but it's different to be a slave of Jesus Christ. A slave in permanent servitude to his master, his will consumed with the master's will. And again, this has not been popular in our world. It never has been popular. Jesus was a slave of his father, his heavenly father, in Philippians 2.7. James, the half-brother of Jesus, was a slave, a doulos of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, Peter, John, and believers today are called doulos, slaves, bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, we call Lord. You know what that word Lord is? Kurios. You know what it means? Master, ruler, owner. He is the master. We are his slave. And you know how important you are? He purchased you out of the slave market of sin by dying on the cross for your sins. You were expensive property. He died for you, purchased you. You are special to God. You have been bought with a price. Not many Christians, though, are really bondservants, are they? Not many Christians are really slaves. Their will consumed with the will of the master. Look around. Look around. There's very few that are truly slaves of the Lord Jesus. Folks, the book of Revelation is not directed to the world. They won't want it. It's not directed to other world religions. They're not going to want it. It's not even directed to cursory Christians, those half-in folks. They're not going to want it. It's for those who are slaves and servants of Jesus Christ. Christ is giving his servants essential information. Jesus wants us to know what's coming, and it will take study to do this. Study to do this, to accomplish this. It's a blessing to know. So John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he pulls back the veil of time, lifts the curtain, and allows us to see the glorified Jesus fulfilling his eternal purposes, the all-powerful God. 
And unlike Daniel, who was told to seal the book, remember that at the very end in Daniel 12, verse 4? Seal the book, Daniel 12, verse 9. Seal the book. It's not for you, Daniel. It's for someone in the future. I believe that's our time now. But the book of Revelation is to not be sealed in Revelation 22.10. Jesus' words to his servants are this. He wants us to watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. Matthew 25.13. Watch. It was the ten virgins. Keep watch. Keep your oil going. Keep watch. He also says this. What did Jesus mean by this statement? He says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, the things much, which must shortly take place. Shortly take place. Did he mean that these things would happen in his lifetime? Yeah, let's see. I believe it's this. Once the fulfillment comes, once things start to fall into order, once the prophetic events start to take place, there will be no delay in the execution of Jesus' coming. He talks about birth pangs in Matthew 24, 8. He says this, All these are the beginnings of sorrows or birth pangs. Now remember what he said, wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilence in diverse places, earthquakes, all this horrendous stuff. These are just the beginning of birth pangs. Then he says, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. Now, you women who have had labor, you know the deal here with birth pangs. They start slow, and they speed up as the delivery becomes imminent. Once the prophetic clock starts, things will progress quickly, swiftly. When you're in labor, you're going, gosh, when's the baby going to get here? It's, I can't believe this. It's not here yet. And finally, you get the transition. And a transition, finally, things progress really quickly. I believe we're in transition. That transition started, when you're looking at the eternity of time, in May 14, 1948, when Israel became a nation. When Israel became a nation, I believe that was a big start of the prophetic clock. The prophetic, prophetic picture has become clearer and clearer since then. And I want you to look at some things that I've mentioned many times prior to this, so this shouldn't be a shock, but this whole push for globalism. This is a setup for a one-world government. Open borders. Take the borders down. Let us go back to the Tower of Babel where we're all one people. This is against what God wants. Climate change, which is, by, by the way, you, is, is really a code for uniting the world to unite as one people to fight climate change. Technology advances, the hectic pace of life, the insurmountable global issues. Folks, this is setting the stage for the one world leader who will come on the scene, appear to be the savior of the world, but will be the greatest deceiver of all called the Antichrist. And we are to watch and be ready. It's going to happen quickly, folks. R.C. Sproul has a little picture here of this. And notice he says quickly, the word tacos. In 1-1 it says, things which must shortly take place. Revelation 2-16, repent or else I will come to you quickly. 3-11, behold I come quickly. 22-6, which must shortly take place. 22-7, behold I come quickly. 22-12, I come quickly. 22-20, surely I am coming quickly. And so on. Please. Jesus wants us to know that when these things start, he's going to be coming quickly. Jesus Christ is coming to earth, folks. You know this. Life can change quickly. Your life can change in an instant. The world scene can change in an instant. And the world scene is right now very unstable. And we are to watch and be ready. For things are changing quickly. They're changing quickly. And folks, I'll tell you, it's a blessing to study the book of Revelation. Verse 2, it says, be a witness. Be a witness. Join God where he is working. That's what a witness is. 
You join God where he is working. That is the principle. Verse 2. John, his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God. Isn't that what we're all supposed to do? A witness to the word of God and a testimony of Jesus Christ to all the things that he saw. John bore witness to the word of God. He told the people the truth. The truth. He refused. Listen to this. He refused to be intimidated. Domitian wasn't going to intimidate him. Nobody that he came across was going to intimidate him. What is a witness? Well, let's allow John to tell us what a witness is. In, John, in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, John talks about, John the Apostle talks about John the Baptist. He's also going to talk, us, talk to us about the light, that Jesus is the light of the world, the true light that gives life to every man. Listen to what John says about John the Baptist. The apostle writes this, There was a man sent from God. This was John the Baptist. Now notice it was sent by God. He didn't go on his own. He didn't just take up the mantle and do whatever he felt like doing. He was sent by God on a mission, whose name was John, John the Baptist. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. Now, do you think that God is trying to send us a message? Be a witness, be a witness, be a witness to what? The light. The light. So who's the light? The light is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever comes to me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus said in in John 1.9 that he is the true light that gives light to every person, every man coming into the world. He is the light. John the Baptist, folks, was a witness. The Apostle John was a witness. Believers today are a witness. Paul and Peter and James are a witness. And the message is, those prior folks that came and died for the faith, they were not intimidated by Rome. They were not intimidated by the culture that they were in. And they were a witness to Jesus right to the end. Folks, that's what we're called to do. Not to be intimidated, to be a witness. And that word witness is this. It's martyrio. Martyrio. And it does mean to bear witness, to testify, to declare or confirm the facts of an event. And it comes from the root word martus. And where we get our word martyr. To suffer for the faith, even to die for the faith, not intimidated. You remember those Egyptians that were lined up by ISIS on the riverbed? And all of them were getting ready to have their heads cut off. And they were, they were kneeled down. You saw that picture? Not intimidated to the end. They died in the presence of God. Next one, in the presence of God. They were not intimidated. And by the way, this carnage on Christianity, this this, this attempt to slaughter Christians is happening today more than any other time in the history of the world. That's pretty significant. That's pretty significant. But yet, don't be intimidated. We have Christians in North Korea, Christians in Iran, Christians in China, Christians throughout the Islamic nations who will not be intimidated. They're going to serve their God no matter what. Remember, the nations of the world embrace false gods. They despise Jesus Christ. John bore witness to the word of God. He was not ashamed, as Paul was not ashamed. Domitian, the Roman Caesar, remember he tried to intimidate him. I already mentioned him. He tried to, he tried to boil him in oil to shut him up. And, he, and, it's, and it's said that while he's being boiled in oil, John continued to preach. And then Domitian tried to give him poison to shut him up. He drank the poison, continued to preach, and then lived. And out of frustration, Domitian says, get him to the island of Patmos. Get him out of the way so he cannot be a witness any longer. And on the Isle of Patmos, God says, oh no, you're not done. And he gives him the book of Revelation, which has impacted the church and will impact it into the future, into eternity. God was not finished. Domitian could not stop the witness of John. 
No ruler can stop your witness. Even though in our culture, we're going in that direction, America, Satan could not stop this. The world system could not stop the witness. Nothing will stop the spread of the gospel. God always has a faithful few. He always works through a remnant, a few, who no matter what will be a witness for the Lord. It's a war on Christianity. You know this is going out to the world. And this is really, really vehement, vehement hate for Christians. And they hate Christians. They hate us for one reason. We're not trying to steal from them. We're not trying to take over their country. We're not, we're not doing the things that people normally do to engender this type of hate. They hate us because we believe in Jesus Christ. That's it. And that will cost you your life. Every five minutes, there's a Christian in the world that is dying for their faith around the world. Every five minutes, boom, there goes another one. Boom, there goes another one. People that are dying for their faith around the world. Folks, don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated. Two years after John's exile, the emperor Domitian died. And John returned to the church in Ephesus. He was the youngest of all the disciples yet lived to be the oldest, dying in peace in Ephesus in A.D. 98. He's probably in his 90s. An old man, faithful to the end, not intimidated a drop. What does being a witness mean to us? What does it mean to me? Well, our job is this. God has placed us here for this for a purpose. Our job is to join God where he is working. That is the key point and to be a witness for him, whether that's in your school, in your workplace, in your family. A lot of lost people in our families who don't like our Christianity. On the team, any place that God places you, that is where we are to be a witness, to declare to people the truth about Jesus. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, his representative, his witnesses, so to speak. As though, now look at what a witness does as though God were making his appeal through us. And then he says this, we implore you on behalf of God. We urge you on behalf of God. Be reconciled to God. That's what a witness does. Be brought in right relationship with God. How is that done? By believing in his son. That is how it's done. God made him who had no sin to be made sin for us, and in him we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, we are to use our words, and we are to use our lives. Let people see more of Jesus and less of us. We have to act more and more in line with a Christ follower. Let people see Christ and not you. That's important. This is our time. We know that the world will hate us because Jesus said in John 59, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world will hate you. They hated me, they will hate you. Think about America. Think of what has happened in this country in the last 50 years. Think about this. Christ has been banished from the public forum. He has been kicked out of schools. Now, I've said this like 5,000 times, so you, most of you have heard this before. But He's been kicked out of the schools. He's been kicked out of the government. He's kicked out of the workplace. He's essentially been ostracized, banished in America to a corner. How sad this has been, because when you kick Jesus out, into that vacuum comes evil. And look what has happened to our country. We have to have guards in schools. We have theaters that are, that are being shot up. That didn't happen when I was a kid. It didn't happen when most of you were kids. We didn't have this tragedy that's going on today. It was always bad, but it's, it's been ramping up. It's been ramping up as we get closer to the end. There's been a precipitous decline in the American values. Abortion homosexual marriage, open borders, globalism. Now we have socialism that want to bring in, kick God out, bring in communism, who is anti-God. This is what is happening in our country today. Believers must not cower in a corner and be intimidated by the culture. We must be faithful to the end and take a stand. Folks, take a stand. Be a witness. Be a representative for the king. That is what we are being implored to do. Be a witness. Join God where he is working. It's a blessing. And finally, God's promise to you in verse 3. 
God's promise to you in verse 3 is a blessing. Blessed is he who reads. Now notice what you have to do. Reads and those who hear the words of prophecy and those who keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. The time is near. There is a promised blessing. The book of Revelation begins with a promised blessing. But notice it's threefold. Those who read it, hear it, and keep what is written. The promise is to those people who do that. All three are necessary. Look at you ever have beyond, I got to get through the Bible in a year. And you go to Revelation and you just rifle read. Done. Got her done. What did you learn? Well, I don't know. I just got her done. Reading, folks, is, is the beginning. Is the beginning. I want you to also notice this. It's written in the present tense. Well, what in the world does that mean to me? It means that it's continuing. You are to keep on reading, keep on hearing, keep on watching if you want a blessing. And the book ends with a special curse on those who add or take away from it in 2219. Be very careful. This is a conditional blessing and those who read. Now, I would admit that reading is the base level of learning. It starts with reading. You have to read in order to learn. But then it's those who hear. That's second level. That's a deeper level. It's to hearken, to listen, with the intent of obeying. I want to know what that text is telling me. I'm going to take the time to meditate on those words. And then finally, the deepest level is this. Those who keep. That word is tarot. Tarot in the Greek. It means those who Keep watch. Those who have learned, those who have studied, those who are now implementing what they've learned, and they're keeping watch for the things that they've been warned about. Keeping watch. Be alert. Watch for what's coming. Don't be caught off guard. The believer is to keep reading. Again, present tense. Keep hearing. Keep watching. This is not to be a one-and-done thing, but a continual lifestyle of learning. I want you to hear something. If you're, if you're drifting for just a second, focus. Refocus. This is important. We are living at a time like none other in history. No other time like this in our world today. The pressure to compromise, the pressure to be moved from what you believe, to consider other worldviews as just as important as the Christian worldview, it is overwhelmingly pressured on us. It's, it's coming at us. It's enormous. Our hope is to keep watching and not to become complacent, to keep meeting together to encourage each other as we see the day approaching. Now, hear the words of the psalmist on not being moved. Don't want to be moved. To be steadfast, to not be moved. How are we not to be moved? Psalm 16, 8, I have set the Lord always before me. You don't want to be moved from your position, then you must set the Lord how often? Always. Let me say it again. How often? Always before you. We men know, we dwell in Christ. That's what it is. Because he is at my right hand, close to me. I shall not be moved. Won't be moved. This is a must attitude that the Christian has to have today. To not be moved by our culture's deception, indoctrination, it's happening all around us, and intimidation. We are to be as steadfast and stable as a bull in a blizzard. You think you're going to knock him over? This is a picture of a Christian that is dug in and saying, I won't be moved. You can bring all this worldview stuff you want at me. I'm believing in this word. I'm believing in this word, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, watch, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, let everything that you do be done in love. Stand fast, Christians, stand fast. Guess what? This has been an admonition of God to his people all through the epochs of time. Israel is our example. At the time of Isaiah, the nation of Israel moved. And they moved into the worship of false gods. And God warned them over and over, turn and live. 
In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4, he says this, Alas, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evil vipers, children who are corruptors. In verse 10, he says this, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. He's talking to the nation of Israel. You people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of your burnt offering. I've had enough of your phony, baloney worship. That's what he's saying. You have moved. You have taken on the idols of this culture, and you have moved, and you think you're still going to worship me? No way. And they went into captivity. Folks, the promise is for those who, like a bull in a blizzard, will not be moved by the sway of our culture. It is for those who will trust God and in his word until they die. I will trust in the Lord until I die. That's the attitude that can expect a blessing from this study. I won't be moved. We are to keep watch. John says this, keep watch for the time is near. What are we keeping watch for? Well, the signs of the times. We know that. Different things are going to be happening. But I think the biggest thing that we're going to keep watch for is the increase in deception. The main thing to watch for is deception. In Matthew 24, at the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is telling his disciples what's going to come, what's coming in the future. And he tells them four times not to be deceived. Matthew 24, 4, take heed that no one deceives you. Verse 5, many will come in my name. Oh, there's going to be all kinds of phony, baloney Christian stuff going on. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Verse 11, for many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Verse 24, for false Christ and false Christ will, false prophets will rise up and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect of God. And that context is Israel, but that election is also the believers. That deception will go right into, right into the church. Folks, we're living in an unprecedented age of deception. And I believe, and we've said this multiple times, and we had all those handouts in Daniel, that technology is facilitating this. Our minds are being bombarded with false information, half-truths, innuendos, lies, distortions. And the amazing thing to me is it seems that people want to be deceived today. There is an all-out effort in our culture to reject the Scripture. Just reject what God has to say. Reject it. And when you reject the Scripture, you end up in a culture where, just like the book of Judges, everyone does what is right in their own heart. And that is what we see today in our country. Everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. Situational truth, situational ethics. And the inevitable result of this is Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, when people call evil good and good evil. That is what has happened in our nation today. Folks, those blessed will not be moved. We are to watch, stand fast, like a bull in the blizzard. Closing, the blessings of studying Revelation. As you know, we're embarking on this study of Revelation, and there's a blessing that's guaranteed, but it's only those who keep watch, heed. Keep watch and heed what the Holy Spirit is teaching us. The blessing is conditional upon us doing our part. We know that God will do his part. So we have to do our part. So we are to read it, hear it, and keep it. The blessing is unspecified. But when the God of heaven blesses, says he'll bless you, don't underestimate what that means. It will be amazing. It's amazing how God blesses his people. When God said that he would bless Abraham, he exceeded all expectations all the way to Messiah coming came from the seed of Abraham. The study of prophecy will encourage us to be a witness for our Lord, to tell everyone the story of Jesus, that every generation will know about Jesus Christ. And he's also telling us this for a couple reasons. Number one, it's, it's a word of comfort and encouragement and hope. Things will get bad, but Jesus is with you, and he's coming. He's coming to rescue us. That's the truth. These are soothing words to a tired, tired soul. But it's also this, number two, it's a stark warning, giving us counsel that the things written in the book are coming. There's no way to avoid this. These things are coming as written in God's word. 
And the only way to escape this is take the life preserver that God has given to humanity, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You grab hold of him. Say, I believe in you, Jesus. No one who believes in Jesus Christ, I don't think they'll go through the tribulation period. And even if I'm wrong and you have to go through part of the tribulation, he will be with you to the end. He will be with you to the end. Our study concerns the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is worthy to open the seals, to reveal God's redemptive purposes. Folks, there's a blessing on the horizon that awaits the believers. It's the Lord is coming to take us to Father's house. Remember John chapter 14, verse 1 and 3. I'm coming to take you to my Father's house. In my Father's house there are many rooms, if it were not so, I'd have told you so. And I go to prepare a place for you. Just put your name down. For you, you're special. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come for you. And I will take you to Father's house. That where I am, there you will also be. What does the future hold for you? That's a question you have to ask yourself. And I would urge you, take hold of Jesus Christ, God's life preserver. And remember this, Maranatha. Maranatha is our battle cry. The Lord is coming soon. And folks, he really is coming. Watch and be ready. Life is temporary. Be ready. Comfort one another with these words even more as we see the day approaching. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us, this time in our life. You've allowed us to be here today to hear your word. And Holy Spirit, I know that you are the one that softens the hearts. You are the one that opens the eyes. You are the one that allows us to hear what you want us to hear. So, Lord, right now I ask that you would search the depths of each heart in this place, that you would speak individually to each person, and that we will hear your voice and that we will heed what you've told us. That we just won't be hearers but doers of the word of God. Lord, I ask right now that you would descend upon this place that you'd fill this place to overflowing with your spirit, that you'll touch each heart here. I pray right now, Lord, for those who are hurting, that you bring healing. To those who are suffering, that you'll take the suffering. To those who are in the valley, that you'll lift them out of the valley. Right now, Lord, I pray that you'll do your work inside of each one of our hearts. Help us to hear you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.